To the private practice playbook powered by the scheduling institute we're in for a real treat this month as jay geyer was recently interviewed by howard ferran on his podcast dentistry uncensored i think the title alone is exciting enough but to give you a little bit more howard is the founder owner and ceo of ferran media which publishes some of dentistry's most highly respected publications you may have heard of them such as dental town ortho town and hygiene town Anyone in the industry knows that these two men are arguably some of the most controversial, yet honest and effective leaders in dentistry. Getting both of them on a podcast took some time to arrange, but the wait was well worth it. This is an uncensored conversation between the two of them about some of the most important things that makes dentists successful. We thought it was so good, we wanted to share it with you all as well. Enjoy. It is just a huge, huge honor to bring back to the show. I almost never bring anyone back on the second time. I mean, we're coming up on 1,500 shows, but Jay Geyer blew it out of the sky last time. Uh, gosh, with his last uh, YouTube video, I think he, he had 2,000 views just on YouTube. Jay Geyer, founder and CEO of the Scheduling Institute, is a self-made first-generation millionaire from a middle-class American family. He's owned business since the age of 18, and his life's work the past 35 years has been dedicated to helping people grow and reach towards their God-given potential. He's the founder and CEO of the Scheduling Institute, which is a consulting firm that helps dentists turn their practices into thriving businesses that can be sold for maximum value or kept for a lifetime of revenue. The Scheduling Institute serves dentists and their teams through a few different divisions, the Leadership Institute, Coaching for Doctors, Training for Team Members, and Content Subscriptions. SI, for Scheduling Institute, has been voted the number one consultant and advisor in Dental Townie Choice Awards the past 11 consecutive years. Unbelievable. Orthodontists have voted them number one for six years. Jay's team trained my today's dental practice in 2008 on the five-star phone training program, which is SI's flagship program that launched them into dentistry as the most effective advisor to private practice. I just want to say right out of the gate, this is not a commercial. This is not a paid advertisement. And I didn't recognize Jay's brilliance or genius when I saw it first. I had a friend practice up at Crest Street that we go all the way back to Creighton University. Uh, I've known him forever, and he was always telling me about this. Dude, he had to he had to whine to me about Jay. Like, when, when are you gonna do that? You're gonna you know you're gonna love it. I think he, he whined on me for like four years before I finally did it. I thought, damn. And now what Jay's scheduling institute does. I've had the DSO kingpins on this show, all the big ones. If you own 500 offices or more, you've been on this show. They all tell you that their call center, how they answer the phone is their secret sauce. I mean, so, you know, um, steel, you know, in politics, they call it opposition research. You need to study your opponent. If I was an independent owner operated general dentist, I'd be studying the hell out of these DSOs. I mean, they had to learn something along the way. Uh, But um, Jay, I see on your screen, if you're on, you don't see this but obviously you're a handsome man you're, yeah, you're made for tv and he's sitting there and if you're on itunes this beautiful desk and it says culture is king why are you sitting next to a desk uh, that sign well i thought we were gonna first of all it's great to be with you as always you are a fantastic leader and just doing so much for people so as always it's it's great to be with you 
It's a lot of fun. Um, hey, listen, I thought we were going to talk about culture today. And I think that kind of where everybody is, it is just a reminder. And, you know, in culture, there's a rule. And it's that the doctor owns culture. And I just think it's this, what we've discovered, it's a subject that isn't talked about a lot in dental school, isn't talked a lot about in continuing education courses. And so I was hoping we could have a little banter about that today and, and hopefully give your listeners maybe an elevated version and actually how to make that commitment and really help them understand what culture is because we found most people don't know what culture actually is. Well, I, I will agree to talk culture. If you first promise me you'll review um, the culture of the Atlanta Falcons after holding a 25-point lead with uh, eight minutes left in the third quarter and then lose a Super Bowl. Uh, have, number one, have you recovered from that? Well, and did their culture recover from that? Uh, I think what you're describing is, was the beginning of a losing culture. And, you know, you got a great owner. You, they got plenty of talent. And I was there as their guest. And uh, my son and I were there, and we were planning on going to the greatest Super Bowl party we'd ever been to in, you know, an hour or whatever it was. And then, you know, we watched the meltdown. But, I mean, you can watch. I mean, and I think they finally now, so I'm a season ticket holder, but clearly there's, there's a problem. We don't know what it is, but it's not an example of a winning culture. So when we did a big event on culture last year, we brought in Nick Saban as the speaker. We didn't bring in the Falcons coach, if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh my God, that's brutally true. Well, um, I got I got to confess to you. I mean, you know, I I am a dentist, and I know my homies. They they stayed. The only reason they got in dental school or med school is because they stayed in a library and knocked out A's in calculus, physics, geometry. They just, I mean, I, I look at a guy like you. I mean, when I lectured for you back in Atlanta, my God, talk about feeling like a rock star for a day. Uh, that that really was. That was amazing. <laughs> Um, I had yeah, like 1,600 people in there. I mean, you you arrive in a helicopter. You're all handsome and charming, and you're you're just made for uh, for TV. My homies cool. are made for figuring out the cosine and a tangent of a triangle, and then and now they got to lead um, people, hygienists, staff, assistants. They got to deal with our patient Karen, who's right. crazy. Right. And they weren't made for the, you were made for well, TV. They were made for a library. I, I, I don't, well, first of all, I would say you're very nice and it's not true. I'm a terrible, terrible introvert who plays an extrovert on TV and on the stage, okay? So interestingly, I think that, you know, one of the things that can occur and what I would hope everyone would do is First of all, let's talk about what culture is, Howard, because culture is actually what the people think about you who work for you. So let me go through that again. So it's funny, we say, well, what is culture? Culture is what the people that work in your organization think about you. Now, if you think about every funny skit about 
companies and team members and what people say about their boss and how they portray bosses. Most of it's atrocious. Most of it's terrible, right? You know, they're not, we don't show great bosses. And so I just want to say the first thing is, is that every business has a culture and everybody, when they walk into that business, if you believe it or not, will make a decision about that culture. There'll be a feeling about that culture, right? And so you can walk into an office and you immediately be, what, what we want to do is when you own culture, and that's the invitation for everyone today, is first to own it. So if I had my way, everybody would get a hat and it would say, I own culture. And that's the beginning step, Howard. I think the truth is that they just have never taken on that responsibility. And they've got to take it on. Because by default, no matter what they do, they're in charge of the culture. And, um, and you like that Nick, um, Nicholas Lou Saban, the uh, football coach at uh, University of Alabama. When I grew up, the greatest coach in football was the Bear. Um, do you think a big part of their success, the Bear, Bear Bryant and uh, Lou, is um, – you say culture is what the players think of them. So they conducted, you're saying they conducted themselves in a way that the players thought about them in a way that made them more successful? Well, absolutely. In other words, what was funny, when I was putting together our roster, we did a big event we called it Culture Fest. We're actually going to do it again next year. And I, and I told all my clients, I said, listen, I am going to put on the single greatest event ever performed in dentistry on culture. I guarantee it. And that was what I set out to do. And so one of the things we did is we said, okay, let's look at sports and let's look at the, the team that we think has the most, the winning culture. So I had to pull out all the stops, got Nick Saban to come. And his talk was on how to create a winning culture. Now, when, when you think about the culture you want to have, let me give you kind of a, a definition of the way we would say it to a doctor. High-performing, high-performing, patient-centric, growth-oriented culture. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, but when you really think about what you want to create, so the, the important parts are that patient-centric part, and then obviously, look, we're in the business of helping doctors help more people, which is about scaling. So when we look at high-performing, patient-centric, growth-oriented culture. And so you gotta pick some of the, and Sabin was tremendous, you know, and, and what you learned, what we learned from having Sabin in is that what you see on TV is not the Nick Sabin. So first of all, bringing a college football coach into an environment where everyone has different teams, everyone wanted to hate Sabin, but what they said afterwards was, hey, I don't like Alabama anymore than I did before, but I'm now a Saban fan. Because what they got to see was the real side of him and why he does what he does. And it actually went back to his father, who was a coach in an impoverished area who used to go pick up the kids and drive them in this bus that had all these crazy motivational quotes on the side. Well, he's basically, it's almost more like a mission for young kids, if you think about it. This mission just happens to be to make them the best and get them in the NFL. 
and the college environment allows him to have an unlimited budget in what he does to do that. That's why their facilities are so incredible. Huh. Um, I really love that. So you say the, uh, says the dental office culture is what your team thinks of you, the dentist owner, and should be a high-performing, patient-centric, growth-oriented culture. Well, um, yeah. Right? So, so my, my uh, question is, I, um, uh, you're awfully kind. I'm not. I'm Dentistry Uncensored. What letter grade would you give the median average modal dental office in America? I mean, there's 150,000 yeah. practices. What letter grade would you give them? Absolute, probably a D, because it would be for the default culture. In other words, you have a culture if you want one. And you know, it took me a long time in business until I even understood this. I mean, I used to think when somebody talked about culture, I thought that's too fuzzy for me. I need something specific and concrete. And the truth is we all have a culture. So if, you're, if this is the first time you've ever thought about culture, what that means is you don't have an intentional culture, you have the default culture. So what we got to do is swap out and move to the intention, not the default. You know, there's a great expression, and that is, you know, we brought in a speaker of this event, and I love one of the things that they did is they said, you know, you know, a lot of people will say, Howard, you're gonna, I'm gonna rise to the occasion, and there, you know, I prefer that version that says you're gonna sink to your level of preparation, which was a quote from a, an anonymous Navy SEAL. You're gonna sink. So like what we just went through with COVID, people sunk to their level of preparation. They didn't, that thing about rise to the occasion. Man, I'm taking notes. I, I always take so many notes with you. My God, last time I saw you lecture in Phoenix at your Phoenix place, my, my hand uh, was actually <laughs> uh, sore. I mean, really, uh, it's well, amazing. But but Jay, but um, but first of all, you, you said something that I find hard to believe. Your uh, your norm, your true self is more shy and introvert. You play an extrovert yes. landing in yes. a helicopter. Yes. On, you play that on TV, but you're really a shy guy. Yes. Damn. So Absolutely. you know how my dogs think then. Well, no, I'm just saying it's why, like, I think that's the misperception. Like, you're acting like people can't do something. I think, listen, when the one thing that humans have is when you make up your mind to do something, you know, you got this fantastic thing up here. And when you decide to do something, most people can do it. It's about making that decision. And that's kind of what I'm saying about culture. If you will take culture, let me give you a, you familiar with Chick-fil-A? Absolutely, man. Gosh, I mean, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable success story. And uh, every I, I, person. I, 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 can I just say yeah. one thing about that? So I grew up, I mean, I cut my teeth on Sonny Driving. My mom and dad were Catholic. They had seven kids in about an hour, but he lived below his means. He saved his money. And when I was 10, he'd only made $11,000 a year. He, he bought a Sonny Driving franchise. Wow. And that first year, he made 60 grand. Wow. And then he went on to open eight more and it just blew my mind. Um, it just blew my mind. And, uh, but McDonald's was number one, Burger King was number two and Wendy's was number three. And I was so proud when the Wendy's man died, his daughter um, implemented about a hundred little things that the franchisees talked about. And 
Wendy's finally passed Burger King and became number two. Wow. And she wasn't even number two for an hour. And then here comes Chick-fil-A out of nowhere and beats everyone and goes to number one. So she's back at number three again. So I feel sorry for her. But Chick-fil-A, I mean, they're not even open on Sunday. They, they break all the rules and make all the money. Um, what, what were you going to say about Chick-fil-A? Well, they're another company. We hired two of their... Uh, one of their marketing executives and their human resource director who both worked with uh, Truett, the founder, and they were at this event too. And it was so interesting that, you know, well, first of all, if anyone's never been, you got to go to Chick-fil-A, you know, just to compare how, uh, you know, and then you'll realize it. But so they finally, one of the things that he brought to us and, and I appreciate it is they, they, they got to a point where at one point they were having to recruit people. Like one of the things right now Doctors are losing good people and recruiting is going in 2021 recruiting is going to be is going to have to be a priority for most doctors. And so it was interesting. They did a study to try to figure out what the most talented people wanted in their jobs. And 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 they got it down to three things. You want me to give them to you? Absolutely. I thought they were tremendous. Okay. And so this is what does the best, most talented person want, or what are they looking for? And so again, when you say, well, what does this have to do with culture? Well, it has to do with what you should be providing is the three things I'm about to describe. And like you said, doctors thinking about other things, they're not thinking about this. One, they want a better boss. So is there a better boss than a lot of the dentists you've seen over your career? answer not very hard, right, to beat right. that. Better boss. Next was a brighter future. And in particular, they were looking to be stretched and to tr be trained. And so we do massive amounts of training, and that training is actually a recruiting tool. But you'd, you'd be shocked at how few people actually use it. And then the third thing they want is to be part of a larger vision. And what that means is some kind of meaningful um, contribution to the world. So when we look at a dental office and we say, okay, come to my office, who's their boss gonna be? And, you know, I always think of the stereotypical model where you've got this office manager who controls everything, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean she's a great boss either. So understand, if a doctor doesn't want to be a great boss, I'm, you know, that's, that's a problem. But then we've got to make sure the second in command at least can fulfill the seat, right? Team members need a good boss. So who do you think, um, we, we talked about, uh, I loved it, I said, what letter grade do you give the 150,000 general dental offices 32 hours a week or more, and you said a D by default. Um, I wanna hold your feet to the fire on this. Who do you think has the better culture for young dentists or for dentistry today, the DSOs or the, the owner operators? Who, who do you think's doing a better job at culture well, and will attract and retain more people for the future? First of all, as you know, I'm not a, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not, I try to stay away from the DSOs, okay? 
because my mission is to help the independent practitioner. Now, my stuff shows up in their places a lot, and I get that, and some of my people go on and all that, but here's the truth about it from a competitive standpoint. If you are an independent owner, you will actually have the freedom. If you'll grow your business to a decent size, you can beat them in culture all day long because the truth about them maintaining culture is the larger and the more units you get, the more difficult it is to have culture. So I, I believe there's a path and that path is, so I'll give you an example. One of the things, you know, when you think about most people that hire their first associate, Howard, can you imagine if there was a, there was like an interaction and, and you see the tour and the associate says, Hey, where am I going to work? Most people, they don't even have an office for the doctor to work in. <laughs> like they go, well, you're just going to be out in the hallway. So for instance, we've been able to get very creative. I mean, we've built locker rooms. We, we've, you know, we've, I've encouraged clients to invest in nicer space for the associate doctors. I mean, what it actually takes to beat out other people in culture, it's a low, low bar. So the great, I, I think what they think is, and remember, it, it's not just about the money, right? I mean, the studies suggest that people won't just leave all because of money. It's the way they're treated. So, I mean, I've created a formula for the independent doctor to basically win in the culture game against the large DSO group practice that's in their town. That's the goal. So, so why do you, uh, well, first of all, um, I know, uh, I've podcasted and read most all the major DSO kingpins and they all credit you, uh, for creating that, that space. I mean, you weren't a me too product when you showed up in dentistry, not only did it take me four years to get it while my friends were beating on my head, then I got it. And I thought, wow, you actually invented a whole space. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, uh, it was the dentist is, um, they, it was all about the dentist. It was all about the dentistry. And I'm going to go to this TMJ course and I'm going to get Panky Spear, Coys, Ross Nash, all this stuff. And you were there like, dude, who's answering your phone? And yeah. that person in Phoenix, 3.8 million people, when they call your dental office, I don't care how many alphabet soup you have behind your name, the whole thing's going to be decided by who answers that phone. And you were the first person that took that serious. And every DSO kingpin, I was out here in Phoenix, Bob Fontana, the CEO of Aspen, uh, I met him out there at his call center. And um, he's got one here in Phoenix and one mm -hmm. in Chicago. And they all credit you with inventing yeah. that space. I mean, so. Well, it's uh, what's allowed a lot of them to scale to the way they could, right? Oh. There's no question. It, but yeah. what you got to remember is, you know, for 20 plus years after that, I've been continuing this journey along with a group of guys who were now going on to figuring out the next issues, right? So, okay, how do you build a great team? How do you run two big locations? How do you run a 25-op multidisciplinary practice? How do I actually get out of the chair? I mean, <clears throat> so... This has been the fun part. How do I actually get rich and not just let a bunch of money come in and out of my life?
Okay, I know I know how my homies think, Jay, and they're uh, they're mathematicians. So the first thing their walnut brain's gonna say is, kind of sounds warm and fuzzy and all that. How does this actually affect my practice and affect my economics? Is this just feel good stuff? A raw, raw rally, or will it affect my practice and the bottom line? Well, but let me give you, let, let's turn this around and let's think about the typical doctor who goes to a seminar, gets a great idea and tries to go implement it with a team and it doesn't go anywhere. Well, that is a reflection of your relationship with those people. When you think about what creating trust does, trust is the greatest accelerator of ideas. A lack of trust causes no movement at all and things are very, very slow. So when you look at the connection between culture, which is very trust oriented, by the way, what you're talking about is you're talking about speed or execution versus literally just kind of dying on the vine, so to speak. So imagine if you had a culture where every time you had an appropriate idea, that culture would absorb that idea and execute that idea. That's kind of the fantasy that any, any leader would have. Will, will you say that one more time? Trust is the, what you say? Trust okay, is well, the so a big part, of- yeah, yeah. So think about this. There was actually, uh, one of the Coveys did an amazing book that I highly recommend and I give to everybody. It's called The Speed of Trust. And in that book, he outlines how and it's really funny, the, you know, the first circle in that, that, that uh, diagram is self-trust. So what's kind of funny is how we feel about our own abilities then is what transfers into relational trust. So there's one of the things about culture, what you're really doing, you know, so you go back to Sabin. So the question is, does a new recruit trust that's that that Saban you get what I'm saying is, is going to get him in the NFL well if you look at the stats you got a pretty good shot at getting to the NFL <clears throat> right right so the trust is a huge part so what a lot of people don't realize is the reason your team doesn't do what you ask them to do and this is crazy is that they don't trust you and we don't want to think of it that way it's almost horrifying to think about but that's actually what's going on well they always when when you come back from a seminar and you're all excited and you say something they all roll their eyes because they know it's going to be just like it always has been uh given enough time it's not nothing they always say well you know nothing's ever going to change because they trust in that more than something else. That goes back to the question of if you, if you go back and you say, we have a high performing, right? Which means we don't allow low performers. Patient centric, most of the changes, like the thing I, look, that whole system I developed, you know, that was completely based on what was best for the patient and nothing else. Patient does not want to him and haw. When they call your office, they want to make an appointment and come in. And that was always and continues to be my focus. Get yourself out of the way, give the patient what the patient wants, and the thing is going to do well. But you got to get a team member who trusts. I mean, I have been called. You know, it's a cult, 
Jay Geyer's just about the money. I mean, I've been called every terrible name you possibly can by a person who didn't trust their doctor just to follow our system. And they make it into something it's not. Trust is important. Yeah, and I'm, I've always been accused of having uh, um, facial uh, hair transplants and uh, muscle implants and uh, that I'm on steroids. They look at my body and think, oh, that's not natural. You must be taking steroids to <laughs> yeah. have muscles this big and be this hot. Well, but, uh, but hey, uh, Howard, but you listen, you have a lot of trust with your people. And you, you know and I know that that's probably one of the things that you, if you stopped and said, what are, what are one or two of the things that you most are appreciative for, wouldn't that trust be pretty high on the list? I mean, yes, it's, it's everything. And you know, uh, journalists are always saying like, um, well, why do American people care what a movie star thinks? Or like, why, why do they care what Willie Nelson thinks? They should think about what a scientist or a politician <laughs> thinks. Right. And it's like, well, they obviously trust Willie Nelson. If he if he told if he's if he's honest with it, he tells you everything. They they trust him. So, well, um, now hey, now that the election is over or not over but still going on, you know we use Robert Cialdini's six principles of influence, and there's one which is called liking, where you intentionally get people to like you. I mean, I think that one cost Trump the election because he didn't he never played that card. And, and what card again? Say that again. I, that flew over my head. Okay. Um, there's a there's a technique, in 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 how you influence people, and it's called liking. If they like you, that has an amazing power, right? Right. So, I was just saying what what probably cost Trump the election, was that he didn't do a very good job of getting people to like him. And if you look at what the Democrats did is they said, let's hate Trump. And they did a very effective job of ringing that bell. It, it was just, it's one of the things that, and again, every doctor, we've got to think about, you know, why does a team member embezzle from a doctor? You know, why does that happen? You know? So did you, did you know he was my uh, teacher at Arizona State University when I got my MBA, um, Robert uh, Sinaldi? Oh, Cialdini? Yeah. yeah. How, how do you say his name? Cialdini. Cialdini. Yeah. Uh, I can't yeah. say that. And uh, it's funny because what I like the most about him is whenever I uh, email him or text him or something, he always works in one of his quotes in the answer. Like I, <laughs> I said to something one and he goes, great use of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But he, he lives, he lives right around the corner. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He'll oh. say, I like the way Howard you use blah, blah, blah. But I mean, powerful guy. Yeah. Um, we, we, yeah. we basically, have, we've partnered with him for a number of years and much of the way we teach a doctor how to become more influential is based on his research. Yeah. So we actually uh, try to train them. Okay, well, here's what you got to do. You know, like when we're training a young associate doctor, we're, we're going through that list, right? And we're saying, okay, how are we going to get you to have authority? Let's put some glasses on you. Okay, show me likable. All right, oh man, you're... You're too stiff, you know. So we actually, anyway, so it's, it's great stuff, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a very uh, interesting man. I really like it. Um, so um, do you think my guy, my, my average guy out there has got 
the tools i mean they, they always say this they say is um like being a leader they say well are you born being a leader i mean obviously in the nfl i know being a five foot seven short fat irish guy i was not born with what it takes to play in the nfl i i've never even touched the bottom of the net let alone the top of yeah. the net but do you think you're born with this or do you think it's a trainable skill to be a leader and and have a culture that's intentionally designed as opposed to a default culture yeah well listen it it over a lot of years what i've done is to walk people through the process. And I will tell you that all of these things can be learned. The question is, are you willing to put in the work and are you willing to basically, you know, so much of this Howard is about submitting and not thinking you know everything. You know, we learn the most, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a consummate student, right? You're a guy who I would go, Man, it doesn't matter what it is, you're curious and you have so much knowledge, but it's because of that curiosity. So if, if, I mean, I've been able to take what I would consider to be relatively socially inept people and make them pretty darn good at this. And when you realize that a lot of what culture, like right now, let me give you an example of how we're doing this right now. Okay, so when, when COVID hit, I said to everybody, I said, okay, listen, you need to pull three or four of your team members together and you need to make a safety committee. And all the decisions about what you do need to come out of that group of people so that your team members know that team members are making the decision on safety and that you're just not ignoring it and trying to put them in harm's way. And that process of, of, of having a safety team basically is the process of getting the team to be the, instead of complaining about what we're doing, we're now becoming part of the solution. And I think what goes on with culture is very much the same. So like we think what COVID did, I tell this story, Howard, did you ever ride a bike when you were a kid? Oh yeah. Okay, well I'm gonna tell you this disturbing game we used to play. We would take a stick and you would ride bikes and somebody would try to throw the stick in the, in the spokes of the front tire. <laughs> now, if that ever gets in there, you, you know what happens? You go, you go flying over the handlebars. So I think what COVID has done to many organizations, particularly if they just had a default culture, is that it, it has now created some completely different nuances and some people are finding, have, they're having a hard time. They're seeing things now that they weren't prepared for. So that's why, you know, I'm really championing culture in offices right now because culture is about being in reality, understanding what the team thinks about you, actually showing that you're the kind of person who can make an adjustment. I mean, hey, Howard, when you learn something, do you change what you do? I try. I, yes. I, I, yeah. That's the kind of I person try. you are. So I think it's about being exposed to the things that we need. I mean, listen, you, you know, if, you know, Nick Saban said something that was interesting. He goes, you know, most teams, they, they lose before they ever take the field against us. Makes sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Mentally, they, they think they're gonna lose. 
what it would take to get someone. See, it's hard for a college team to think they're going to beat Alabama at this point. So when, when you look at what's going on right now, I mean, we've got new elements. I mean, we're, we're at the front lines of the COVID situation, right? I mean, we got to have a culture that's about safety. I mean, how do we grow in that culture? We've got to now communicate what we're doing to patients at the highest, highest level. I mean, there's just a lot of things. And again, I'm just telling you, think about the measure of your culture is how, how when you go to implement something, does it get done? <laughs> So, um, Jay, let's switch to the um, pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. You know, when I when I look at dental associates, the DSOs get a lot of bad light because uh, they're transparent. It's the same thing about Florida. Um, the reason everybody sees all these uh, the crime and crazy stuff in Florida is because they're transparent with their criminal justice stuff. So you right. can actually see all that stuff. A lot of other states, you you would know what the hell is going on. So so you can track down the craziest people in Florida because it's transparent. But but it's a millennial thing. I mean, like my mom's brother lives up the street from me. He got a job at mobile oil in the mail room when he was 16. Okay. And then he retired when he was 65 with his pension. He stayed at one place. Um, the older Japanese people did that at Toyota, Honda, but um, the new generation millennials, they, they, they job hop. I mean, even among the fang stocks, um, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Uber, all, all these uh, Microsoft, all these great companies, Millennials only average one to three years or one to two years. Amazon has the lowest one year. Mm-hmm. Their average employee stays with them one year. How ruthless of a CEO are you when your average employee only stays a year? But on the greatest line, keeping them the longest is Facebook, who, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's dad is a mm-hmm. dentist. Uh, Ed Zuckerberg been on the show um, three times and they give them everything in the world and they only stay for two years. And a lot of people say, oh, these DSOs, you know, they quit every year they quit every year in private practice um so you think that the cards do you think the cards are stacked against us because we're dealing with a millennial in 2020 and they just job hop or do you really think you can reverse that trend and get them to stay with you five to ten years i think if you spend every day saying that millennials will never do this you're right (laughs) and I'm a big believer in thoughts become things. And you know, you go back to all the original great things we learned in life and how the world works and the power of a decision and the power of commitment. And that's what I'm trying to flip, right? I mean, you can't go through the world, think you can't go through your time as a, a, a business owner talking about how not good team members are. You gotta switch the narrative to, see, we make great team members, Howard. They're not born, you can't pick them, you make them. You gotta have a system and you make them. And you know, that, that, that's what I'm trying to get people to understand, you know, and, and not trying to make them is letting them run whatever it is. That's, and you know, what they, they've said, and I think it is true, a lot about the millennials is they want to, it's interesting, maybe they've got something figured out we never had figured out that they're saying that money's not their main motive, Howard. They, they wanna be in a, in a job that has a purpose. I mean, so you almost, as much as I've talk, talked bad about millennials, look, I think they're completely distracted. I think all that stuff, but look, you can have a rule. You can't have your phone, right? That's easy. 
if you're willing to enforce it. Put your phone away. Don't have it all day on you, right? They can do that. Right. So I think that what this is about is about, you know, okay, how many, you know, think about this. If you pick any town in America, how many great team members do we need, right? Is it 10? Is it 12? Is it 25? We're not talking about, so what you want to have is they come in, the system makes them good, the system retains them as much as you can, then they go, we start it again. And I think what we're talking about is we're talking about actually being cognizant of what that system looks like. Having a team company calendar. You'd be surprised. You know what? When I discovered that almost none of my clients published a team calendar for the year with all the important dates. I mean, is that hard? Well, you know, for me, um, you know, when I came out to, when I was picking my demographics, um, I did a real intentional, like say with intention, because I learned it from my dad's sonic driving skills. And I found two breathtaking locations. And one was in Phoenix and one was in Scottsdale. And I yeah. thought to myself, yeah. okay, Howard, look, um, you know, you're, you're just trailer trash from Kansas <laughs> and, and you go up to Scottsdale and that's a whole different look. I, I, I believe it with cosmetic. I, I've noticed that all the cosmetic dentists that are crushing it, they're always hot. They always look like you. They don't look like me. And I thought, you know what? My people are more in uh, Phoenix, and I, I'm just going to go to Phoenix, and I just feel more relaxed there. And it's the best decision I ever had. In fact, my favorite patients are all from the Guadalupe Indian Reservation. They're yeah. the poorest of the poor with dirt floors. They're nicer, the nicest ones. And the few very rich patients I have, they're the biggest pain in the butt. But when it comes to um, HR, I thought the same thing. Um, I grew up with five sisters and dentistry. Mm. When I started in 87, it was all women employees. And I just thought to myself, um, Lori, I just said, you're just a better girly people person with yeah. this calendar yeah. events and everything. And I know I know at the um, Arizona Cardinals, the owner Bidwell, um, he was a patient of mine. He didn't he didn't do his draft picks and all that stuff. He had other people do that. Do you think a lot of dentists should look in the mirror long and hard and say, you know what? You got five people on your team. Uh this girl's been with you a long time. Maybe you should just give that function to her. Or do you think the dentist has to own it and be that person? Does he have to turn into Hollywood and become a no. movie star? Well, look, you know what? Yeah. And, and listen, I think what you're saying is, you know, I don't think when we talk about culture, Hey, every market has its different culture, right? I mean, I, and, and so I think, look, we're localizing to culture. We're not trying to say, be like Hollywood. You know, it's like this whole thing about like Hollywood and New York, right? They think they're the greatest. Well, okay, there's a lot of us in the middle, right? And, you know, not everyone who lives in the South is stupid as they would like to portray. Does that make sense? There's mm -hmm. a culture in the South. You like that culture. So I, I want to make it clear you, you, it's always local, but what we're saying, it's a combination. So I think there's two steps. One, I want people to own it. And Howard, when I took it on in my company and I said, I'm going to own culture, it was funny. I actually, for many years, did it. I owned it. I dropped it. I let it go. And then I came back and took it again. So I, I didn't learn this from, I learned it because I was doing it originally 
Then I tried to delegate it off and I went for a couple years and I didn't really control it. And this is what caused me to come back to the discovery of saying, wow, you know what? That activity was way more important than I thought it was and I'm gonna go back to it. And then you, you can begin to, so in our company, here's how it works. Okay, who owns culture? And I would say, I own culture. And let's say Vanessa was in here with me. Vanessa would say, well, I own culture too. So the way we do it is, yes, I own culture, but everyone owns culture as well because I'm not in every room. So if, if, if there's three people meeting in a room and we say, who owns culture? The answer is they all own culture. And so I, I think it's about, it's a combination of the things you just described. But I'll tell you one thing we've watched is, you know, what's interesting, so I've, I, I, I coach a bunch of people, right? And I get together with them several times a year. And so we used to have this thing where you come into the meeting, Howard, and, and we'd, we'd say, okay, uh, every, okay, we're gonna put up a list of everyone who had their best month ever. You know, 78% of the room walks up to the front. I've never seen people less excited in my life. Most, most collections ever come up here and celebrate. They don't celebrate. Most new patients ever come up here. So what I did learn about many of my dental clients, they're not good at producing energy for millennials and that we needed help. So for instance, you want to start a team meeting, you let one of your millennials turn on some music. They all start dancing around. They're, they're having fun. I can't get a doctor to do that to save my life. So we need that. You may okay. not need it. They need it. But again, Jay, I, I, <laughs> I know my homies. I am a dentist and I've been out there for yes. a long time. And if they want to spruce up their office, if they are going to commit to taking it to the next level, they know they should just buy a piece of technology. It should be a $135,000 CAD cam or a new uh, Lenap laser from Millennium for 135 grand. Something they think it's all about it's gadgets. Not, yeah, not all true. my physician friends, they never talk like that. You could have dinner a hundred times with physicians and they would never talk about it, a piece of equipment. And you go to a hundred dinners, dinners with dentists, it's their bragging rights. Well, I got a CAD cam. I got a CBCT. You know, so they're going to, they think they're going to buy a piece of technology to make them successful. Well, and that's where the problem lies. And that's why culture in dentistry is so darn important. In other words, we've got to get the message out that, hey, listen, this is kind of like the ignored situation. And, and listen, the one thing, you know, when you look at a competitive situation, I, I, I would share anything I do culturally with anybody, and I would hope they would copy it. Does that make sense? But mm -hmm. you know what I know they're not going to do? They're not going to copy it. So like, here's one, give 10% of all your, pro so here, here, like, so let's take every dental company who's successful, right? How about they start giving 10% of their profits away? They ain't going to do it. I mean. Well, you know, I, I've, I've been saying on the, um, how my, my 30 day dental MBA came out in 1998. I was saying it on there. I mean, it's on record. I've been saying, take your technology budget, 
on CAD cams and lasers and chair side milling and spend it all on consultants because when they, if they hire a consultant for 50 grand um, in 12 months, not only do they always get the 50 grand back, yeah. they get more back. And then when they buy a CAD cam, a chair side milling machine, I mean, most of these guys, especially the, the dental CPAs that I know, they can't, they can't even figure a return on investment right. on it. But, but but the consultant, you always find it. But listen, one of the things that I did, which is a little different, you know, I mean, I made a decision, you know, and now I think this is our 11th year. For 11 years, I've run a, a university for my clients, team members. And over that 11 years, Howard, we've done everything. I mean, we've, we've made marketing directors in offices. We've made human resource people, whatever I think is the thing they need. I set up a program to, to make and basically manufacture one of those for them. And I think that's the part that a lot of people, it's so daunting to think about training your team. And what most people just don't realize is that, you know, it's, you know, I, I would put it in the, you know, if you take 100% of your revenue, right, and you wanna know anything about money, well, first of all, the, the first 10, and the rules are very clear about money, there's, there's 10 that should go back to the house, so to speak. But then, you know, it's like I look at you and say, well, reinvesting in the business is another, another section. And I, I, listen, I think the one thing nobody, if you spend a lot of time creating amazing team members. See, I think a lot of doctors think if I make them great, they're gonna leave. Not true. That's why they're too cheap to spend any money on developing their team, because they think they're gonna get good and leave me. That's not accurate. If you make them good, they'll stick around. But you got to make them good. And they're not going to do it on their own time. Um, there's a large segment of dentists that um, I've been telling them forever. They're, they're drug addicts. They, um, they yeah. want to uh, solve all their problems. Uh, with burning and churning patients, it's just they just keep investing in marketing. Yeah. And I look at these great companies that um, you know, it seems like so many of them, the best ones. Like like look at um Sam Walton with Walmart in, in Benville, Arkansas. Nobody had a warranty. Nobody um, um, took items back. But he was in a small town of five thousand, and when someone bought a pair of shoes and the heel fell off. Um, Sam said, well, that's not our problem. It's the guy who made him. You take it up with them. And then that lady uh, told Helen about it on church on Sunday. And Helen came home and said, you're going to take it back. And when mm -hmm. that son of a gun comes back to sell you 10 more pairs of shoes, you give it to him. You make him take it back. Mm -hmm. So he pushed take backs up the value chain and changed quality. Dentists think, my gosh, I know. I know there's so many things wrong with our office. I know people get upset, leave us bad reviews, don't come back. But I'm just going to double down on marketing. I mean, I'm I'm in Phoenix. You're in Atlanta. There's millions of people. I can I can burn and churn 50 new people a month, and none of this matters. Do you think you can? That I mean, where would you prioritize? Um, you know, marketing, technology, there, consulting. There, there's an there's an absolute correct hierarchy that I've identified, and it is. If you just, it's so not what everyone thinks, right? So we've broken this down to five things. And the number one is human capital, okay? These businesses are people businesses, Howard. And so when you, know, when you talk about your team, that's human capital. That includes you as the doctor. 
So what you got to realize, you know, if you ever play, you know, I always tell people, right, it's like, you know, hey, play like the person you're going to end up working for someday. <laughs> like my thing now is, is listen, you got a choice. Either you can go to work for someone else and see what it's like to work for a CEO, or why don't you try, give it three years of trying to play CEO, and if it turns out you're terrible or atrocious at it, you know, you can then hire somebody or go to work for somebody. But what do you say you try it, right? And that's what a lot of people have never made an effort to do. And so human capital is number one. That's like in sports, it's the talent you put on, right? Great coaching, you, you, if you got no talent, you have a problem, okay? So normally what we do is we look at the human capital first, and if the human, so for instance, if you look at what I did with the phones, if your phone ratings are correct, go market. A marketing company will tell you to market before they monitor your phones. By the way, the biggest problem I have right now is everybody thinks that recording calls equates to training, and that's BS. It's creating a false illusion. So many people think just because a marketing company is recording your phone calls, that that you that, that constitutes training your team. It's not true. So for anyone listening who thinks that re recording the calls constitutes telling them how to do it right, you're dead wrong. You actually still have to train them. So human capital first, then we look at the marketing. Is that, you follow what I'm saying? Otherwise you're burning yeah, up the money. I, I don't want to interrupt the greatness. No, you're burning up the money. And so what the problem that most people have, it's like if you, if you were to go on my website and you take what we call the five-star challenge, we have an unbiased rating system, okay? It's real simple. If you're anything less than a four or five, there is a massive opportunity to train your team and to get incredible results with no extra money. And we tell everybody, listen, unless you're getting a four, you're getting a four or five, you can spend as much money as you want on marketing. The other thing I would tell you, Howard, I think the greatest measure, and, and by the way, it's a culture measure, is what you do is you take, a guy calls me up, he's getting 50 patients and they're all advertised. I'm telling him he is in deep, deep trouble because the number that matters is the number of patient referrals as a percentage of their entire population. You should be over 50% patient referrals. I mean, if you, if you want to know you have a great culture and your patients, because remember, culture is also what your patients say about you, right? I mean, it's not just... Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you're saying that if you have a great culture, your word of mouth referrals should be over 50%. Uh, of and if your patient. human capital is trained correctly to when the patient comes in to make the experience all about, remember patient centric is the part about the culture where we make it about you not about the fact we want to take a break and go text our husband and eat a donut in the back. I mean, they don't care whether you want to go eat a donut or have a snack or what. That's not that patient should have that is that should have no bearing on the patient experience. And if you really think about what a patient, you know, most of the work I've done post being able to drive in a bunch of new patients is all about patient centricity 
which is basically taking a team member or human capital and saying, you know what I'm going to do for eight hours? I'm going to put myself second and I'm going to put the patient first in a system that is designed to make the patient feel a certain way. Well, I, <clears throat> I love the fact where um, you said, let me, uh, I'm taking so many notes. Um, Jay Geyer, founder, founder and CEO of Scheduling Institute, says culture is what your team thinks to you, the dentist owner, and should be a high-performing, patient-centric, growth-oriented culture. Okay, when you just, I mean, I just look at this patient-centric. I mean, when dentists tell me they're patient-centric as opposed to dentist-centric, it, it's, it's hard to talk to them with a straight face. I mean, the Federal Reserve has over 3,000 PhD economists, and they've come out with studies that show 100 million of the 331 million Americans cannot go to the doctor Monday through Friday, eight to five. They can't do it. Right, well, oh yeah. That's... All my homies have work Monday through Thursday, eight to five. Um, you know, when do you take your lunch? Well, don't take it at noon. That's when everybody takes their lunch. Can't you do 11 to 12 or one to two? Well, one to two is too late and 11 is too early. I go at 12, I mean, God, when a dentist tells you he's patient-centric, do yeah. you just, like, laugh or cry or what? <laughs> well, and, you know, you guys would, you'd prop a guy up. He gets up on the stage and he says, well, I'd like to start out and I'd like to tell you that, first of all, I work three days a week. And what the crowd should be doing is saying, get off the stage, buddy. I'm not going to listen to anything you say because what he basically is saying, and then I go play golf every Friday, so I, and I pay my team five days a week, but we have, we bought... We invested in facilities, which we only operate, you know, 60% of the time, and I'm, I'm your model for success. It's not patient-centric at all. And another thing I'll never forget when um, my youngest boy told me this, you know, you know, I've been dragging him around to seminars. I mean, he, he yeah. met you, you know, when they were little, and they, he said, uh, Dad, he goes, um, uh, at college, um, he actually wanted a job at Subway because he loves Subway. I mean, he just, yeah. he throw, I mean, he wanted to get a job where he loves to eat and he's, he couldn't believe it. He said, dad, I had more training before I saw my first customer mm. than anything I'd ever heard of. He goes, he goes, there's, you know, I mean, we had to go to meetings. We had to, we had to, um, he, he had to do six computer online videos and pass each one of them. But I mean, and a dentist, if, if I hired you for a receptionist, hell, you start Monday and you'd walk in there Monday. And the first thing you do is answer the phone. I mean, dentists don't train their employees. McDonald's trains them. I bet Chick-fil-A, I would love to know how Chick-fil-A goes from a stranger off the mm -hmm. street before they turn them loose on a customer compared to dentistry? Well, it's significantly more. And as a matter of fact, last year I did a, a track in my university and it was specifically for my clients to send their human resource person or office manager. And one of the things we did is we said, we did a survey and we said, okay, listen, we wanna know from the time we, we, we studied you hire them, what is the amount of time until they're basically on the floor? So you wanna know what the answer was? It was exactly yeah. like you said. It was typically the same day they started. So imagine if you're saying, okay, here's all my humans in this bucket, right? We have this great, we're, we are patient centric, we're very focused on the patient, but you literally go hire a person off the street and drop them right in there and you don't think that they affect all the other humans in there? 
Yeah, it totally does. So let me, so let's, I'll tell you how we do it, right? Like we got, we got, I think eight or nine people starting next week. They are in a tank for 30 days, Howard, a tank. We don't let them back. We don't, they don't get to join the community of people. And, and you know what? If we start eight, two of them might leave in that first period of time. That, that, I mean, it was crazy how there was no transition. So again, if you think about the, the worst things you could possibly have for culture is the, the worst patient and your worst employee. You actually look at the way a lot of businesses are run. They listen to those people way more than they should. And then you start creating things to accommodate those people, which is not even your, your, your customer. But, but Jay, the industry is going the wrong way. I mean, when I talk to specific dentists, like, well, why did you quit working there? You had this job, you know, why, why did you yeah. quit working there? It's, I mean, so much of it, um, you know, we complain, um, um, the patients complain that every time they go to DSO, it's a different dentist. So that's their complaint. Yeah. But when the dentist complains to me, they don't complain the other way. They say, well, you know what, Howard, uh, the last straw was I was driving into work. I was really scared. I had a molar root canal scheduled. You know, I didn't even do one in dental school and I was all pumped for it. And last night I was on YouTube and online and getting all pumped for it. I go in there and they, they got a temp for the assistant today. I mean, my, you know, they're always, they're always um, using temp staff. And, and so many of these DSOs say, well, they're, they're not employees or cheaper. Um, it's yeah. more flexible. It's everything in their walnut brain for flexibility and the flipping dentists hate it. And I can vouch for that because <clears throat> my gosh, I am such a brat. When I show up and I get a temp, I mean, the, yeah. the staff just, you know, they just, in fact, sometimes if both of my assistants forever are going to be out and I'm going to have a temp. They just reschedule. They know um, they, they don't even want to deal with me. So, so instead of having a long-term staff building relationship, they think it's cheaper, faster, and easier yeah. to have temporary. Oh, you got extra hygiene, just hire a temporary hygienist. So you're going to let a stranger hygienist yeah. come in your yeah. office all day, see eight people and you couldn't pick her out of a police lineup and now you're turning her loose on a day of hygiene. I mean, what do, what do you think of the, and, and the, the explosive growth of the uh, nationwide dental staffing agencies is correlating the growth of the DSOs neck to neck. And their number one problem is, is employee turnover. So, I mean, don't you think it's like giving cocaine to a crack addict? Well, yeah, I mean, but remember in all of these problems, I mean, you're such a, kind of a global thinker about it. And I think what we gotta do is get down to the local solution, you know? And it's always like, okay. And I do think, Howard, there's this size issue is very confusing for people. And so, you know, the typical guy comes out, he sets up four or five operatories, he signs a 10-year lease, and he can't grow. And so, I do think that when we talk about a lot of this stuff, that what I've noticed, I take a lot of people, people come to me and they got four ops. And I'm like, listen, okay, that's gonna have to end, okay? You're gonna have to buy a new building. We're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get to a scale. And, and so what happens is when you get to a scale, now this becomes easier. So now 
we can have the capacity to render the service the same day. Now we, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, and I think that's a big deal for a lot of people. The typical office, I mean, what do you think the average number of ops is? You know, if you take all the dental offices, I wonder what that stat is. It'd it's, be interesting. It's four. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, and, and I see four as sort of like a death sentence, to be honest with you. Uh, it's I know. very difficult, uh, you know, and, 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 and they always say, well, I don't have room for another operatory. I'm like, dude, Superman worked out of a phone booth. Your private office is an operatory. Yeah. The problem is up here, Howard. The problem is that instead of being curious, right? Like I'm just telling you that that doesn't work. And, and I think it's what, what's such a shame is, you know, we tell a person to go enter a 10 year lease. They shouldn't be entering 10 year leases. I mean, think about that. A typical guy is stuck 10 years. And with his four ops. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. So when, when you start talking about um, training staff, developing yeah. HR people stuff, yeah. they're all wondering, so is uh, Jay talking about like, I'm supposed to start doing that disc profile, uh, you know, back, back in the seventies and the eighties, you know, yeah. that, the disc profile was everything. Um, is that what you're thinking now, about doing? I, I mean, look, we use some of those tools, but I mean, what you got to remember about almost, you know, that, look, there's this industry and it's amazing how many people you run into who say, I worked in a dental office. Okay. Like mm -hmm. they were dental assistant or hygiene, you know, it's just or a front desk person. And listen, the, I, I'll tell you some of the, the, the most, tremendously uh, committed, um, dedicated uh, people. And what they need to have is they need to have experiences that allow them to elevate their skill set. And it's no different than sending a doctor to a continuing education course to learn how to do a procedure that's a good money-making procedure. And most there is literally no formal training for almost all of these people, Howard. So what we've figured out is we, we're doing it in two methods. One, we do it on site. The second, we do it in one of our leadership centers. And these poor people, you know, they need to imagine a person, you got to go to the same office every day, every day, all year, and you never get a day to get away. That doesn't work. You, you become right. You, you're, I'm sure you have better stories about how that shrinks your mind, right? <laughs> so, well, I, I, I go back to my, um, like, um, oh, I'll give you an example. Um, when I decided I wanted to learn implants, I looked for a, um, back then, Arizona didn't have any dental schools. Now it's got two. I, I'm so yeah. jealous of all the people getting their FAGD, MAGD when they got two dental schools in their backyard. I, I had to get an airplane and fly around. But I, I look back at some memorable experience like that, like meeting Carl Mish and seven three-day weekends mm -hmm. at Pittsburgh and all that. But far more valuable than all of that was the f lifelong friends I met at the course, just getting out and and spending time with other people going for right. it. Even your event in Phoenix, Atlanta, I've been yeah. to several of your events. What, what I like most about your event, and I mean no disrespect to you at all, but it's not just um, you and all, and all your knowledge, but everyone in the crowd yeah. is going for that. that it's yeah. kind of like, you, you know, you, you play pickup ball in the, in the park yeah. every day. 
And then, and then someplace you go, and it, it, they're all people that made the high school team. And I, I feel like when I'm in your audience, I'm only with the NFL. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. guys in there from nobody, nowhere, nothing towns like Reno, Nevada, and they're just crushing it. That yeah. the mindset of your followers is uh, unbelievable. Well, you, you attract. I, and, and you know, I want to listen. I want to thank you. You guys have obviously been very helpful in introducing us to people. And listen, I, you know, I, I think. You know, and I, I appreciate that comment, and I and I tell them this, but you know, it, it it's true. I don't have a client I don't like, and part of the reason is is it's culture. In other words, you go to one of my events, there's a culture, and it's not an excuse-making culture. It's not a whining culture. It's not, you know, they're there to do what we need to do. And it's, and listen, I, I am very, I very thankful and any of my clients listening, I, you know, I, I have, I, I think I have a great job and I, I think it has been a tremendous journey and, and that, that lawyer and, but time in is what makes that Howard, right? Time in, you've got people that have been with you for so long, despite what you might do or not do or whatever the situation is, right? you got to, there's a culture to you. There's no question. I remember the first time you got up on stage and you started just dropping F-bombs. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Do you do, you do that as much or do you do that as much as you used to? No, I was, no, I was, I was, when I was young, I was, you know, Philip <laughs> Pissing and all. But the, the problem I had when I was younger is I was doing stand-up comedy at all these right. places. I mean, I, I've done stand-up comedy ever. So whenever I do yeah. stand-up comedy, I'm not, never forget when uh, uh, Pauly Shore's, uh, um, mom owned the comedy club and everything. They're all talking, oh my God, you're you're so you're so clean. This is great. Cause you know, when you're in the comedy yeah. club, they're just like vulgar to a different yeah. level. Yeah. And when I was in the comedy club, they said, you're the cleanest act we have. Then I go into dentistry, which is more like a, yeah. a church. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, he's the raunchiest guy. <laughs> so context is everything, but no, I'm uh, hell, I'm 58 now. I can't talk like that cause I got grandkids now. Oh yeah. my God. So I had to clean up my language for my grandkids, but um. You get older and, um, but Jay, I, I still, um, I see, you know, where you're going with this and, and, um, you know, you, you have so many features to you, but I still think the fundamental thing uh, of all this extras is, um, my own friends in this town, they, um, gosh, this week, they don't even know how many incoming calls went to right. voicemail never answered. They right. don't, I call my friends because I'm trying to hook them up, uh, you know, um, um, getting drunk after work or drink yeah. at a bar or something like that. Yeah. And, and it's like, can you please hold? And then I'm like 12 minutes later, no one's even said anything. Yeah. And then I finally hang up and then, then I'll call later. I'll call and say, uh, well, did you, did you even get a message? I mean, they, they still, can't answer that phone and then when i go to aspen's call center yeah i mean my god it, it, it's Tight. the size you could park a 747 yeah. inside the building and guess what they tell me that there this is the crazy thing they won't hire anybody with dental experience they say right. i it's too hard to unbreak their habits yep. we want we want fresh people we've tried with people oh i've been doing it for yep. 10 years um so they're they're answering their phone is still a disaster well, look, there's, you know, there's no doubt that every process has a start and a finish. And there's a clear start in our business. And why you wouldn't fix the start makes, I mean, 
you know, to your point, why is it that someone can be, quite frankly, so naive that they would go and try to fix the back of something and not the front? I, I mean, I, it just, talk about making things more complex than they need to be. It's unbelievable. And, and, and you know, you tell me what that is. Is it, is it pride? Is it fear? Is it stupidity? You know, I, I got to think that, you know, I love, you ever, there's a thing where it's like the four levels of learning. And the, the first level is unconscious incompetence. And look, I mean, I do think we all suffer from that. You don't know, right? You're incompetent. <laughs> right. And that's where I think the curiosity comes in. Why not try something? Why not give it your best effort? Like what you've done your whole life, I think, is when you think something's possible, you, so it took you four years, then you tried us out, you see it works. You're, you're basically admitting that's the process. So what I, what I do think is interesting about when you understand those steps, you know, it's like the same, why can a person go out, drink all night, get up the next day, walk into an office and do a procedure unconsciously competently, right? I mean, we get, there's that piece. So it's like, we can understand that. Then why can't you understand that there's just things that you don't know the difference between doing it right and doing it the way you're doing it? Just be open-minded to that possibility. Um, I want, um, you know, when I first met you, you were in, uh, in Georgia. Um, um, it's called Alpharet, yeah. Georgia, but it's yeah. uh, basically Atlanta. Yeah. And then you got a place out here, Phoenix. Um, um, due to COVID, are you, are you still having conventions or is it now all online? We're, or we're, we're back. We're like, we're able to do our coaching. So we're back to bringing people in. What we've done is we've moved everything out. Uh, so for instance, I'll, I'll be in Phoenix next week. I've got a, uh, we've had, we, we basically figured out that if you, if you social distance everybody, you wear masks on the inbound and the outbound, you can meet the criteria. So we've basically gone and just re-engineered everything because listen, we, we know one of the horrible things that's happened is there are people running around out there who have, it's been nine months, Howard, since they did something that is actually meaningful to their success. Like maybe they haven't had their whole team together for nine months. You see what I'm saying? And, right. and you guys got to realize that you can solve the problem. I mean, if you go rent a big ballroom and you put tables six feet apart, you can get your team together. Okay. You just got to get a little creative about how to do it. And I'm shocked at how few people, I mean, we're in the event business, so we had to figure that out. So I'm just curious, what is the, um, you know, one of the things I do for dentists is that, you know, they're, they're introverts, they're all alone, they practice solo. Yeah. They don't yeah. really see, and in fact, I can prove that in 1999, when I started Dentaltown, um, I self-funded Dentaltown and I had 10 competitors that raised venture capital money. Hmm. Uh, one of them raised $20 million wow. and they were all trying to sell supplies too. They were trying to yeah. disintermediate Patterson and Shine and Benco and all those guys. And I thought, 
well, shit, that's my only lifeline. I mean, if it wasn't for that that person that came in once a week where I could say, hey, my favorite endodontist, what file does he use? Or what's that guy use? Or what's, you know, mm-hmm. or, or looking for staff, all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was my program to the outside world. And I was wondering, um, my homie uh, listening right now, he's probably, if he's, uh, he's, he's commuting to work, uh, if you're on a st- a tra- master, a st- uh Stairmaster, just mm-hmm. just get off the the podcast <laughs> is over. Get off that damn thing and go have a beer. But I, there, I, but I'm wondering, what are they buying the most? Because you have uh, the new patient solutions, yeah. the doctor programs, the team it, training programs. You know, you have yeah. events. What yeah. is what, he wants I, to know? What what are all the other doctors? I mean, we suffer from something I never thought I would suffer from. I used to see this with other companies, and that is that people think they know what we do, so they don't want to do it. So if somebody were, so like one of the things that today I would suggest is that we have something called a blueprint day. And basically a client can call up and they can say, I wanna have a blueprint day. And what we ask them to do is either come in with their spouse or if they have a key person in their organization and they come into one of our facilities and we have a, a beautiful conference room with a lot of whiteboards and we walk them through and we look at their history we figure out what their growth rate is, Howard. We talk about their goals and we figure out what they want. And I mean, I've done this so long. I mean, it doesn't matter. This is so hard for everyone to understand. You walk in, you say, I got four ops. I'm doing $750,000 and I want to go to 2 million. Well, I can basically just say, do this, 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 this. Okay, it'll be two years, you'll be there. I mean, this is not, I mean, I've been doing this so, that, that's what's so hard for people to comprehend. I mean, our, our lab, that's the way this works. So today, you know, I would say to somebody, okay, you could get a blueprint day. You could certainly start with something related to the, our new patient uh, phone program uh, or come to one of our events. Because I'm always like, look, I want someone to come, hear what I have to say, Figure out if you like our culture. Don't don't judge it from afar. Come in and like, right? You were probably shocked when you showed up at one of my events because you never. You know, that's not a culture you see a lot. So go go see it is what I recommend. I, I also like so. Which website do you recommend they go to? Um, they can just go to Scheduling Institute. Scheduling yeah, Institute. yeah. You yeah. also have jgeyer.com. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, but rec- listen, pick up the telephone. I mean, give us your, you know, or fill in some, give us your information. I mean, look, I, I, I'm trying to make this as easy for people as possible. And, you know, the one thing I would just say is, you know, the thing I like about a blueprint day, which is something I invented because I was trying to figure out what people wanted. And what's nice about the blueprint day, Howard, is if, 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 if you come in to do a blueprint day and you're not honest with me, I find out you're not honest and I don't take you as a client, <laughs> you know? And, and how, how have they, and where have they shown the dishonesty? No, mostly? I'm just saying, it's like, you know, if you don't want to say your real numbers, I mean, you know, listen, this is not that complicated. You'd be surprised, right? It's like, I, I'm just saying that transparency is a terribly important part in the process of figuring out how you're going to help somebody, right? Well, um, I can't believe, uh, my gosh, we went well yeah. over an hour, my gosh, uh, hour and a half. Um, but I can't end. Um, I loved your book, new patients. Now yeah, Jay thanks. M Geyer, 
um, on Amazon. New patients now. Regain control of your practice and double your profits. It's time to focus on your next horizon. If you find yourself working all the time but feeling like you and your business aren't getting anywhere, you're not alone. Being busy doesn't necessarily mean you're successful. Hmm. And the stress of wearing yourself thin doesn't make the road to success any smoother. J.M. Geyer is here to show you that getting that setting out on the road to take back your business can be easier than you think. The book is the beginning of your journey. In the chapters ahead, you will learn the complete framework for uh, increasing your clients, uh, streamlining your practice. Now you can do so in 90 days or less, and that's only the beginning. Commit to intentionally building your practice instead of letting it control you. And I just want to say one thing about what um, that uh, I just read. And one thing that I can say um, as an older man who's watched many people go through your um, program is that a lot of dentists don't realize that even when they retire, they sell their practice. They, they think, but like this pandemic, you know, Dental Town's always had a thousand practices to sell. Now there's 2,000. A lot of dentists say, you know what? This is the last straw. Screw it. I'm out of here. It, they're, they're, it's not even been seven months. I mean, some of these guys have been retired for five months and they realize they still, everybody calls them doc. They still see themselves as a dentist. A lot of dentists, a lot of your life psychology, what you see in the mirror, it's a big part of you. So when your dental office starts failing, you you take that personal because the way you see yourself, you're you're failing. And selling your office when, you know, when the going got rough, Dr. Pansy ass sold his office and ran and hid it behind a tree. I mean, dude, when you go, when you invest in yourself in consultants and you grow, it's like you just came out of the phone booth and you're no longer Mm. Clark Kent, you're Superman. And it fires up their whole being and it affects their family, their friends, their exercise, their, their, their dog can notice because dentists, it's, it's not a job like, like, like if someone worked at McDonald's in college, they don't go the rest of their life telling everybody, oh, when I was in McDonald's, when I was in college, I worked at the mall. My God, dentists, they can never, even after they've been retired for 10 years, you go to lunch with them, guess what the only thing they talk about? Yeah. And, and all the regrets and how they wish they would have stayed and they wish they would have done this. And they wish, dude, you're a dentist. And when you retire, you're still going to be a dentist. And when you die, they're going to say, there lies Doc. <laughs> I mean, damn, it's, it's personal, dude. And, um, and you know, um, it, it just is. I, I know my dentist, and the only other time I've seen this explained right was with Steve Jobs um, when they interviewed um, a great CEO from another company that worked with this guy. They said what, what people didn't realize that when they fired Steve Jobs, they, they just killed his heart and soul. Yeah, He was a lifeless, lost soul. Yeah. That whole this. That company was his sole being. And Doc, when you when you do what it takes and you get to this next level, it's not just gonna be at profits and your dental yeah. office and your overhead goes down. It's about you. You're Doc, you're a dentist. And I don't think you can separate the dentist from the human. Can't you, yeah. you, you see where I'm going with this? Well, I think it's yeah, it's about making it it's no different. You know, good team members wanna feel you got to make this a mission. I mean, you got to be obsessed about customer service. In fact, you know, it's just switching them into a different obsession than just working on the teeth, right? It's like a. I think it should be the thing that everyone goes through. I, you know, I watch Second Lives, Howard. Guy comes in, he is beat down, he is tired, and I'm telling you, if they will focus on something else, it is like a new person develops. I mean, and it's awesome to see. It is fun to watch 
a 60 year old man turn into a child again, you know? And that's a lot of what ends up happening when they go down a different path. It's yeah, awesome and, and a lot of the consulting, I'll, I'll flip it around, and that's why they don't do consultants because they're embarrassed, they're shameful, they're afraid you're gonna come in and say, oh yeah. my God, this you're the worst guy we've ever seen in whatever category. I cannot believe how much pain dentists hold up. I was in a small town and this guy, um, he never has talked to this other guy across the street and he's saying, well, you know, when I got out of school, I really messed up this tooth and and he ended up going over there and I don't even wanna face the guy because I, I think he right. probably thinks I'm the worst dentist in Texas. Right. That's my dude funny. i'm sure he hasn't thought of you one time <clears throat> in the last year um just get over yourself get over the fear and just be humble just just get out there and do it but on that note yep. um i want breaking news on dentistry uncensored um can just my viewers know what the m stands for i mean you're you've always been j guy or then your book comes out and you're j m yeah, well i've always it's michael so michael yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, like the, uh, the, the Archangel Michael, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, anyway. but seriously, Jay, um, thank you. Like say, thanks for innovating in, uh, in our industry. I mean, I, yeah. I you know, this is all about dentistry. It was a start of Pierre Frichard Sorry. 200 years ago. And you didn't, um, you didn't come to dentistry. Remember mm. when the, uh, the me too phone book come out? I mean, you already had this big bill in the eighties with a yeah. ad in the yellow pages, then another yellow page. And I said, well, what's, what's the advantage of this? nothing just me too they they they, they wanted in on it yeah. you didn't come to dentistry um saying i'm going to copy someone you you came to dentistry you innovated a space every dso kingpin has a call center that they're trying to do just like yours yeah. um the only way my individual homie can compete with these big dso's is there's got to be companies like yours that can do dso level and better um for for these uh these services and i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart of what you've done for the owner operated dentist uh well, you and i have the same mission yeah. <clears throat> thank Thanks. you for all that yeah. you've done for dentistry. i appreciate same with you appreciate you guys a lot you're fantastic so and next time you're at phoenix let's go eat again that let's last restaurant it. was amazing yeah <laughs> sounds I don't remember good where it was. So, so, do you remember where it was some hotel in uh, Scottsdale or something? royal palms right royal palms royal palms yeah. great but uh all right jay have cool. a rocking hot day thank you so much hey. for coming on the show again thank you appreciate you howard take care All right. what a treat i hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did before signing off i want to give you a little more information about the blueprint day that jay talked about during this interview this is a tremendous way to learn more about who we are what we do and how we can help you hit your practice goals Head to BlueprintDay.com to learn more about it, and we'll be happy to help you find out what the true potential of your practice may be. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you here back next month with a new episode of the Private Practice Playbook.